Uh, spring is finally here in New Brunswick. Anyone excited for spring? Have you heard of it? Here it is. It's here. It's here for a couple weeks, I think. It'll be good. You know spring is coming in New Brunswick. I'm not from New Brunswick, so I, I, you know, anyway. But you know spring is here. Like, the grass is starting to grow. Like, you can mow it now. That's pretty cool. The, the flowers are starting to come. Your allergies are starting to go nuts. Anybody? Yes. The black flies are biting you and making you look weird, and you got to, like, figure out how to cover all that up. That's pretty cool. Um, it's a magical time here in New Brunswick. It really is. Uh, and one of the things that I love about spring is a lot of people are starting up gardens. I don't know if there's any gardeners in here. I really hope so because that's what my whole message is about. Uh, and so I'm going to help you with that. But one of the things you might not know about me, I really don't share this very freely because I don't know how it will come across. But I'm like a pretty intense, nerdy gardener. Like, that's one of my top three things I love doing is growing vegetables. It, it doesn't sound very cool, so I don't share it a lot. But I'm really into gardening. I love it. Like, I'm the kind of guy, though, who I'm not, I'm not just like, in, I won't just go and buy the little thing of basil and then, like, watch it kind of grow and die on my counter. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be the guy, instead of going to the store and getting, like, a 98-cent head of lettuce and just going home and chopping it up and being done with the whole thing, like, in five seconds, I'm going to be the guy who, no, I'm going to go to my backyard. I'm going to dig half of it up turn it over, add a bunch of stuff to it, pull a bunch of stuff out. I'm going to order seeds from who knows where, and they're going to be 10 times more than the, do the dollar lettuce would have been. I'm going to plant it in the ground. I'm going to water it, baby it, sing to it. I'm going to be so good to this thing for like two and a half months so that one morning I can go out and cut three leaves of lettuce for a bowl of salad. I'm not sure if, the, I don't know what it is, if I just like a challenge or I'm a glutton for punishment, I don't know what it is, but I'm really in to gardening. I love being able to plant something and watch it grow. In fact, I've got some seeds here. I don't know if you can see this, if there's a shot of it, but these are the seeds that are going to my garden this year. I have like way too, it's obnoxious how many seeds there are, but I'm going to just show you a couple. These are the seeds I've got going to my garden this year. I don't know what I have here right now. I have spinach, a little spinach going for you. Uh, I have cauliflower. This is like a purple cauliflower. That's pretty cool if you're into that. That's cool. I got some tomatoes. I got bush beans. I love growing stuff. I love putting it in the ground and watching it grow. My goal as a gardener is to see something happen. And if you've ever done that before, you know that's the goal too. Here's the thing though. It doesn't matter how good these seeds are. And these are like the best seeds. If you can like zoom in, you want to go to this website, I'll give it to you after. I, I would go off about this website. But this, these are like the best seeds you can buy. They're guaranteed to grow. Like it, if they didn't grow, it's not their problem is what they'll say, right? They're guaranteed to grow. Here's the thing though. Any seed that I would buy, as good as the seed is, and as excited as I am to see the thing grow, I am pumped. You can ask my wife. Like I'm pumped for this garden to grow. It doesn't matter how excited I am. It doesn't matter how good the seed is. Unless I put the seed into the dirt at some point, nothing's going to happen. It's why these things haven't grown. I've had these for two months. It's why none of them are growing yet. They haven't gone in the dirt yet. Like if, unless I do that, I've missed the first step. Right? As a gardener, my goal is for my uh, garden to produce fruit. I want a harvest. I want to see something amazing happen of it. I want to see something that wasn't there before all of a sudden become something delicious, something I can share with my friends, something I can make you jealous about. Like, I just want to, I want the most amazing garden ever. But it all depends how good my dirt is. And if the dirt's no good, well, then my garden won't grow. And if I can't get the seed in the dirt, well, then it's not going to grow either. The same's kind of true when it comes to us and God. Like, God has such an excitement over you producing fruit in your life. Like, God wants so badly for you to produce fruit. 
for, to see a harvest in your life. God wants his word to get into your heart. He wants his word to get into your heart and to produce a harvest. His plan for everyone on this planet is for you to grow, for you to thrive, for you to produce fruit. Yet unless his word can penetrate into your heart, it's not going to happen. Unless his word can find good soil, it doesn't happen. It doesn't matter how good his word is. And I would say to you, it's very good. It can grow. It doesn't matter how excited God is for you. And he's so excited over your life. He's so amazingly pumped for what could happen in your life. It doesn't matter how much God wants it to happen. It all depends on your ability to receive it. So if I asked you individually, if I were to go out with you after this and we'd say, uh, hey, do you really want what God has for your life? Like if I knew it, if I said, I have something amazing to tell you, I could tell you exactly what God has for your life. Would you want to know it? I would say whether you're a Christian or not, you'd at least take me up on it. If there is a God, I wonder what he wants to do in my life. If there is a God, I wonder if there's something there. I've been following God for 30 years. I wonder what he has for my life. Of course you'd say, yes, I want to know what God has to do with my life. Yes, I want to see what he has for me. But why does it seem like some people experience what God has for their lives, but I don't? Why is it that I sit in church sometimes and I see someone else kind of just like going off and loving their life in Jesus, and it really does seem like they've got fruit just coming out of their ears, and I don't see anything? What's so good about them? What's so bad about me? What do they know that I don't know? Why is it different? If God wants to do something in my life, why am I not seeing it yet? And how can I start to see some fruit? Jesus tells us a story. It's a parable in the book of Mark chapter 4. You can open your Bibles there. And the word parable is just an old word, and Jesus uses this kind of uh, speaking technique a lot. A parable really means to lay aside of something, and it's, uh, that's all the like, deeper I'll go into like, old words and stuff, like to, to lay aside something. So Jesus would say, I have some, some concept of how heaven works, or I have some concept of how I work or God works, but I don't know how to communicate it in a way that you as a person can really grasp what I'm saying. So I'll grab this picture of something you know, in this case gardening, he says, I'm going to lay it aside, this truth of who I am, and I'm going to help you understand exactly what it is. So a lot of times in the Bible, you'll see Jesus say, well, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he'll use a story everybody knows. He said, God really works like this. And he tells a story about something everybody that was listening would have understood. And so in Mark chapter 4, he tells us a story of a farmer in his field. And it says this in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, once again, Jesus was teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling them many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across the field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. So the seed, sprouted and quick, the seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still others fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, they grew, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as what was planted. Then Jesus said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. 
And then after that kind of interaction with the crowd, Jesus gets along with his disciples, and his disciples come up and they say, Jesus, I don't know really quite what you meant by that. Can you help us understand a little more? And here's the thing, like, not always in the Bible does Jesus just explicitly come out and tell you, this is exactly what I'm saying. Don't miss this. Like, so many times, like, in our Bible studies, we'll try and wonder, well, what did that passage really mean? Or we'll look for a pastor or preacher to interpret what the scripture actually meant. Like, this is one of the times where I don't have anything flashy for you. I'm just going to tell you what Jesus said, and I'm going to trust that that's enough for you. Because Jesus, this is one of those times where he says flat out, this is exactly what I mean by this. Don't miss it. There's really no other way to see it. This is what I meant. So Jesus tells his disciples this. He says, this is what I meant, starting in 14. The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or as soon as they're persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word, and they produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. See, the issue in the story, the thing that made a seed grow or not grow in Jesus' story, it wasn't God, it wasn't the seed, it wasn't the farmer, it was an issue of the soil. It was an issue of the heart that it had to try and penetrate. The reason God's word might not be coming alive in our hearts is because we don't have the ability to receive it. There are things in our lives, and Jesus points these out, there's things in our lives that could actually be blocking, resisting God's word from penetrating into our heart and producing a harvest. How come it looks like someone else sees something that I don't? Could it be that there's something holding you back? Could it be that there's something in your life that is resisting, that is making it impossible for the harvest that God had always intended for your life? It's why the seed that fell on the path, because it was so downtrodden and so compacted, it couldn't even get in. It's why that seed that fell on rock, as soon as it started growing, it couldn't grow any further because it couldn't get deep roots. There were things in the soil that needed to come out. There were changes that had to happen. See, Jesus uses this picture of a farmer's field and the the condition of his soil to help us understand what could be holding us back from receiving his word. He gives us three reasons why you might not be receiving his word in your life and seeing it produce the harvest. The first reason is this. This first soil represents pride. Resistant pride. How come I don't see God's word doing something in my life? I wonder if it's an issue of pride. In order for a seed to grow, it has to. It absolutely has to be able to penetrate the soil. You don't just like lay seed on top of the ground and hope it grows. It doesn't happen like that. That's why grass doesn't grow on your driveway, but it grows in your lawn. Because it needs to be able to penetrate the surface. Until it does it, if the soil just continues to resist the seed from penetrating, then something is going to come along sooner or later and either sweep it away, peck it away, take it away. It doesn't matter what it is. The seed is not going to grow. Jesus said this in verse 4, As the farmer scattered the seed across the field, some of it fell on a footpath, and birds came and they ate it. It didn't get a chance to sink in. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, only to have Satan come at once and take it away. Because the soil was so hard, 
and so resistant, birds came and snatched it away. Jesus says that those whose hearts are resistant to his word, us who continually resist his word, even getting a, a foothold in our hearts, man, we don't see God's word grow in our lives. And what's worse, when we're resistant to his word coming in, we're actually playing into Satan's game and allowing him to just come and sweep it right off before it ever has a chance to sink in. We see this with the person who maybe they come to church, but they come and, and as soon as they come into the doors, they put a wall up instead of taking a wall down. They come in and they say, well, I don't know if I want to know what God has for my life actually. I think I've got it figured it out. So I'm going to put a wall up and I'm going to be resistant to whatever God wants to do. He could do something in your life, sure. You go ahead and let him in. But I'm just going to have this wall up and I'm not going to allow it. I'll be in proximity to his word, but I'm not going to allow it to actually infiltrate my life might be the person who comes to church, uh, and instead of coming in and saying, God, if you have something to speak to me, I want to know, they'll come in with their arms crossed and say, God, if you have something you can prove to me, then maybe I'll listen. God, if you have something you want to do in their life, you go ahead, but my life, no, I'm good. It's a resistant pride. The more we resist, the less we'll see his work in our life. I don't know if, if people do this because maybe there's something they're scared of, and that's a reality. Like, man, maybe I'm just afraid of, if God actually spoke to me, what would he say? If I let his word come into my life, what's going to have to change? I kind of have things figured out to a, some at least way I can deal with life right now. I don't know if entering God into the picture is going to mess it up. And so I'm just going to resist him all I can. In any case, it's our pride that holds us back sometimes. Pride says, I know better than God. Pride says, I've got this figured out, and God certainly doesn't know how to meet my need. Pride says, and this is silly, like pride says, I haven't really been alive for the past 10,000 years of human history, but I've been alive for the last 42, and I think I've got it all figured out. I don't really actually have anything to learn. I think I've got it pretty sorted out in these 42 years I've been alive. I, I think I know. That's pride. Pride says, I've got it figured out, and God doesn't. For some of you, man, your continual resistance to receiving God's word, to receiving what he has to say over your life, from listening into the picture he has for you, is going to absolutely hold you back and hinder you from producing the fruit that God has planned for you. Like you want to see fruit in your life, but you'll resist them and you won't see it. And so it's no wonder that Satan comes and, and sneaks that away and snatches that away before you even have the chance to let it sink in. And the thing in this story and the thing I've learned from gardening is that it doesn't matter how bad a soil is, something can fix it. That you can work this soil. This soil can be worked and changed over. And so for each one of these soils that Jesus gives us as a, a thing that might be holding us back, I would submit to you that there's an opposite reaction. There's an opposite reality that will help to turn it over. So in the case of pride, I would tell you that pride can be broken with humility. Pride can be repaired. It can be renovated with humility. Now, most people, if I were to say, man, you just need to be humble and you need to have some humility, most people think that humility is kind of putting myself down. Like, man, that guy's so humble. Well, it's because he says, well, it really wasn't me. I didn't have anything to do with it. I'm just, a, uh, just one person. And No, you had a ton to do with it, and you have really good things you brought. Being humble doesn't mean putting yourself down. Being humble doesn't mean thinking of yourself less even. Humble means thinking of yourself accurately. Humility is when I think of myself accurately, no more, no less. I'm not putting myself down, but I'm not puffing myself up. Humility is thinking of myself 
accurately. It's knowing that when I put myself, reality, hey, I'm Dell and I've been alive for a few years and I don't know everything. When I put myself in comparison to God and when I look at God, I can say, well, he is infinite. He's forever. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's all-sufficient. He's been around a whole lot longer than me. He created me and all the other how many billion people in the world. Humility is saying, I have an accurate view of myself in relation to God. And when I accurately look at who I am, good and bad, in relation to a perfect God, there are things that God knows, things that he might have planned for me, that really would be good if I listened to. It's probably for my benefit to give him the benefit of the doubt and say, God, if you have something, I want to know it. James 4, 6 and 7, uh, he says this. He says, God opposes the proud. God is against those who have a prideful heart, but he favors those who are humble. So humble yourselves before God. Think accurately of yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, God says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sins and I will restore their land. So when you put yourselves in comparison to God and you act accordingly, allowing him to penetrate your heart, humbly giving him honor and permission to break through your pride, you'll start to see seed grow. You'll start to see some fruit. The second soil, the second condition that Jesus gives us is a condition of pain. The thing that could be holding me back is how I deal with pain in my life. Jesus goes on and he says, other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. Like there was some dirt there and it had a chance to grow a little bit, but there was something bigger going on underneath. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun. And since it didn't have deep roots, it died. And then he says, the seed on rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But because they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. And they fall away when? As soon as they have problems. As soon as they're persecuted for believing God's word. This is the person who, this kind of happens all the time in church. This could have been you. This was me a lot, right? This is the person who, they come into church and they might come into a service like this or they watch online or maybe they go to uh, some, uh, I don't know, conference or something and someone shares the gospel with them and they, there's just like a moment where they're saying, my whole life led up to this and it clicks for the very first time. You know what that feels like if you've accepted Christ. You probably know what that's like. You came into some setting, someone shared the truth of the word, it got a hold of you like it never had before. All of a sudden, God's alive in your life, and you hear the Holy Spirit speaking for the first time, and you're excited about it, you're pumped for it, you say, God, if you want to speak to me, I'm listening, I'm going to put my faith in you for the first time, this is going to be fantastic. You're like on cloud, not, you're on cloud 10, I don't even know if there is cloud 10, but you're there. And you're up there, and you're just loving life. It's working out all great. You got a spring in your step, you want to tell everybody about Jesus, and it's a fantastic thing. But then you start to have a problem that you didn't think Christians dealt with. And you find out that there's something in your life that didn't change once you accepted Christ. Or you get a phone call that Christians aren't supposed to get. Or you lose a job that you didn't think a follower of Jesus would be supposed to be losing. Or you are excited about your faith and so you try to share it with your spouse, or you try to share it with your family or your friends. Instead of sharing in joy, they laugh you off. 
And then there's this point, and every one of us has probably been there at some level, where I need to be able to reconcile this newfound faith that I think I have, this experience that I thought I had, and the reality that there's still pain in my life. And there's still problems in my life. And the reality that being a Christian isn't necessarily what I thought it was going to be. And so a lot of people, when they're in that situation, they would say, actually, you know what? Before I met Jesus, I wasn't getting picked on for my faith, so I'm not going to share it anymore. Before I met Jesus, I didn't seem to have this issue, or I lost my job after I met Jesus. It must have been his fault. So I'm just going to kind of back off in my faith, and I'm going to harden back up, and I'm not going to allow anything else to affect me again. I thought I believed, and I trusted for a little bit, but it still hurts. It's too hard. I didn't think I'd have problems. And you see that your faith starts to wither away and die. And while it's easy for us to think, and I wish I could tell you, that being a Christian means your life is easy, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. It's simply not true. Like if you look through the, the, the pages of the Bible, the early Christians, like the people that Jesus was talking to, his 12 disciples, his friends, the people who wrote the Bible, their lives actually got worse when they met Jesus. Like in a lot of ways, their physical lives went downhill quickly when they met Jesus. They, they, weren't, they, didn't have, they didn't have everything figured out. They didn't have all their problems solved. They had plenty of problems, plenty of pain, plenty of persecution that you and I have never seen in our lives. I mean, Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, like one of the top three disciples, like the inner circle. Peter was a fisherman before he met Jesus. I don't know if you know this. He's out fishing for trout one day. Just out, I don't know if he did that, actually, but he was out fishing one day, and I just like to think he was doing that. I like to think it was pretty easy for him. But Peter's out there fishing, catching some trout, having a good lunch and all that, and then here comes Jesus walking along the shore saying, come follow me, come follow me. And Peter didn't ask for it. Peter wasn't out looking for it. But this rabbi comes and says, follow me. Peter says, okay, let's do it. He follows Jesus, and his life is never the same. I'd like to think, like, if Peter would have interacted with Jesus, what would his life have turned out to be? Would he still have been a successful fisherman? Maybe, probably. He was doing what his family had done for generations, and he was really good at it. There would have been no harm, no problem, no dishonor in just doing what he did and living his life and retiring a fisherman and dying peacefully in his sleep one day. But Jesus came along, said, follow me. Peter said yes, and instead of uh, a nice little retirement, he ends up getting crucified upside down for his faith. Eleven out of the twelve faithful disciples, or ten out of the eleven faithful disciples, ended up dying for their faith. They were put to death, killed because they believed in Jesus. Their lives were full of problems. They had problems all day long. Everywhere they turned, it was an issue. So what is it about those disciples, and what is it about the millions of Christians in the 2,000 years since Jesus left this earth, the 2,000 years since we've been doing this, what is it about them? What do they know that I don't know when it comes to dealing with my pain? How did they stick with it and I don't? The one thing they had figured out, that pain can be broken. Pain can be broken with perseverance. They knew how to persevere. They knew how to stay in it longer. They knew how to be around it long enough. They were able to hang in long enough. They were able to get past some initial pain in their life once they became a Christian. And they got past it long enough that they could see that their roots went deeper than the problems they had. Their faith became stronger than the problems they faced. And so for Peter to be crucified upside down, well, he had a faith that went deeper than what his mortal life cost him. 
for people to have stones thrown at them and sticks beating them and the early Christians to be put to death. It's not that that wasn't real. It's not that it didn't hurt. It's not that it wasn't a reality at all. It's just they had a faith that was stronger. They could persevere when it got tough. They saw that the longer they walked out their faith in Jesus, the deeper their roots went. The same is true in a garden. There's times... Man, for my garden, my goal is to have that seed get as deep a root as it can. Because I know that in the next few weeks, there's going to be a drought. I know that it isn't going to rain every Monday and keep them watered. I know that they're going to have some struggle. I know that some sort of little bug or something is going to come in and start eating leaves. And unless the roots are deep, it's going to die as soon as pressure comes, as soon as a problem comes. I wonder if that's how you are in your faith. If you've accepted Christ, but there's problems in your life right now that are threatening to have you just close the door on him. And because your roots aren't allowed to go deep, because you're not persevering, because you're not staying with it, you're just going to wither up and die. Galatians 6, 9 says this. It says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time. I love that. At just the right time. Not before, not too late, at just the right time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Be encouraged by this. James 1.12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. He blesses those who do it. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God promised to those who love him. You need to understand that your roots will go deeper if you persevere. They just will. If you just hang in there, your faith will end up getting deeper than the problems that you face. The deeper your roots, the more unshakable you will be when trouble comes. It's perseverance. Jesus gives us this one last type of soil, this one last thing that could be holding us back. And I'm not sure if this is you. I know this has been me in the past as well. Uh, Mark 4, starting in verse 7, it says, That other seed fell among thorns, and those thorns grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. And the seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. For me, this soil, the key word here is pressure. What holds me back from receiving God's word? It could be my pride, maybe it's pain, or maybe it's pressure. Maybe there's a pressure coming in. See, if I plant my seeds, I don't know what it is. I'm just going to grab something here. I'm going to grab my spinach. If I got my little spinach plant here, can you hear it? It's ready to go. I can't wait. This spinach is ready to go. Now, listen, though. If I, if I go into my backyard today and I plant my little spinach plant in the ground that's there now that's full of weeds and full of rocks and full of all sorts of stuff, like, I could plant this and I could, like, sit in my house and be all excited for it, but I guarantee you, I guarantee you, as soon as I plant this in the ground, if I don't take those thorns out first... Every single time, those thorns will outcompete this cute little spinach seed for moisture in the soil, for all the nutrients in the soil. They'll grow higher than it quick, more quickly, and it'll block out the light. And every single time, I will waste this seed because I didn't pull the thorns out first. Unless I deal with the issue that's there right now, unless I take away the competing pressure for this seed's nutrients in its life, every single time it's going to fail. Every single time it's going to get crowded out. The problem that I have in my backyard is that there's seeds that are growing there that have grown for years and years and years. 
And the seeds that naturally grow in my backyard, they're perfectly suited for the soil in that backyard. I'm not sure if you can make the connection with me here. Like the things that I need to take out of my backyard to make this better seed grow, and it is better seed. No one would uh, debate me on that. What I have here to plant, far better than eating weeds. But these things in my backyard are so strong because they just naturally grow there. They grow in everyone's backyard. They, they, they just know how to do it. They're much stronger initially than the plant that I have, than the other option that I have. So when I introduce a new seed, even though it's better, even though it's going to give me more joy, even though it's going to pay off in the long run, even though it's going to be the best thing possibly for me to grow, it's just not going to grow if I don't take the weeds out first. This is the person who they receive the gospel. Jesus says they come in and they receive it. They receive Jesus with joy. They intend to live for him. I want to give you my whole life over to you, God, and I'll do whatever you ask. But soon enough, old ways of thinking start to creep back in again. And you come out of an experience in a room like this, or maybe you're watching online and it was just a really engaging time, and the emotions were up, and you're so pumped to follow Jesus, but you go home and you find out after like it's all over and everyone's gone and it's just you sitting in your house, you start having something creep back in like, can God really take care of you the way you thought he did? could? Do you really have enough? Like just look across the street at what they have for a second and listen to what that person just got in their job. Can God really, is he really enough to take care of you? And then this old way of starting to say, well, I need to be self-sufficient. I'm going to look out for me because God's not going to. I just can't trust him in it yet. I haven't had enough faith. And it's true, you can't trust him in it yet. You just, you just accepted him. How are you going to trust him with your life right here from now until forever? But you have this young faith and these old ways of thinking, these old weeds, these old pressures in your life are going to start coming in and coming in and coming in. And soon you're going to see that this new faith starts getting choked out. The things start to creep in, those things of needing to keep up, those things of needing to provide for yourself, and they choke out the very thing that actually can give you satisfaction. And it chokes out the very thing that actually does promise to give you security. For a lot of us, we come to church and we get a little seed, and it penetrates our hearts, and we start to grow and we're excited, but we go home, and because we don't uh, see it happen in front of us and we see what everyone else has, we start going back into those old ways, and we never see the fruit that Jesus promises. We don't see the fruit that Jesus seems to say you can have, fruit like love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You don't see these things, and we start looking at what everyone else is doing, what everyone else has, and we get fooled to thinking God can't really take care of me. But those who see a different result, the ones who see God's word penetrate their heart and bear fruit, they know that they can beat pressure, they can break pressure with contentment. You can break pressure with contentment. Now, contentment doesn't sound like a real powerful word, does it? Contentment doesn't sound like something that's going to just like, man, smash through all the issues in my life. Well, if I'm just content, what do you, what do you mean just be content? That's not uh, aggressive at all. You can't do anything by that. It doesn't sound attractive, but it's what you're really after, isn't it? Like if you think about it, most of the things that you give yourself to in your life, you're trying to be content. And a lot of the problems you get yourself into are, in your life are because you're not content. Contentment is something every single one of us wants. The ability to be content, to know that we have all we need, we already have it, in the face of worry, in the face of pressure, is something that every single one of us wants, don't we? 
We want to know that it's going to be okay. We want to know that we have enough. We want to be convinced that it's all going to work out and that we don't need to worry or stress about what's going to happen tomorrow. But few of us ever take advantage of contentment. We ever take, we, we, few of us rarely take the opportunity to be content when it offers itself to us. You know what I mean by that. It's why instead of buying uh, the small two-bedroom house in the neighborhood you can afford... You could have had it, and it would have been better for you, but no, you're going to go and get a five-bedroom house, and you need three bathrooms for some reason, and you need it in this particular neighborhood, because that's where everyone else lives, even though I can't afford it, even though now I'm doing like mental gymnastics, and I'm working three shifts every day, and I'm just trying to make it work, and even though I only have a family of two, that's what I need right now, right? It's why instead of getting whatever like the basic cable package is, and I don't even know what basic cable is anymore. It's like five million channels I think is the lowest you can get, right? I don't know. I'm going to go off on that in a second, I'm sure. But like you, get, you could get the low one. You could get just the basic whatever package. But no, 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 no. I'm going to get the one that has a thousand channels and I'm going to surf through them all and I'm still going to feel that there's what? Nothing on TV. There's nothing on, man. I'm going to get this thing I totally don't need. I could have been content with something else. But no, I'm going to pay a couple hundred bucks more a month for something I really don't need. Man, when I was little, I don't know about you. When I was little, I had 12 channels on my TV. Anyone else a 12-channel person? Yes? Where are my friends at? There we go. I got 12 channels. What's worse, three of them were repeats of other channels, and two of them were public broadcasting. Like, it was, it was awful. And I'll tell you what, I loved every second of it. I loved every second of that little TV when I was, man, I loved it. Anyway, it's why for you, some of you, some of you, you could go to Wendy's and just get the cheeseburger. Like, that'd be great. You could just get it, a burger with some cheese on it, that'd be good. But no, 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 no. You've convinced yourself that you want, no, that you deserve. You deserve, because you've earned it. You deserve this triple Baconator. Do you know what a Baconator is, anybody? I'm sorry, one person is brave enough to say, I know what that is. I've been there, I'm sorry. Uh, listen, anyway, but you could get, uh, so bacon here, it's not just a cheeseburger. Cheeseburger's lame, that's old, no one wants that. It's not just a double cheeseburger, that's for wimps. It's not even a triple cheeseburger. It's not, like, get real, it's not even a triple cheeseburger. We're going to a triple cheeseburger, we're going to cram some bacon on top of it, we're going to put it between two buns and give it to you for your heart attack. You can have this, so you'll get that, you'll get an extra large fry, you'll wash it down with a frosty, and then you'll stumble home in some meat stupor, you'll just kind of wonder what's going on, you'll end up sweating for the next three hours, right? And you'll be up all night promising God stuff and saying, God, if you just save me, I'll just, I'll never do it again, God, I promise, you know what I mean? It wasn't enough. True contentment is being able to rest in the fact that God both knows and is already providing what I truly need. True contentment is resting in the fact that God both knows what I need and he's providing for it right now. That I don't need to worry about what happens next because I have a father who's looking out for me. I don't need to worry about having enough because I know that in Christ I have all things. Yes, more might feel good. Yes, it feels good to have more maybe. Yes, I want to keep up at some level. But because God is all sufficient and because I'm his son or I'm his daughter, I will lack nothing. Jesus says it like this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, that's why I tell you Don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food? And isn't your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant. They don't harvest. They don't store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. 
And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Paul says in the book of Philippians like this, he says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's not even the point as to what I have. I can live either way. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. I just feel for some of you here that the thing holding you back the most from seeing God's word produce a harvest in your life, from really being fruitful, is that, is that you allow the pressures in your life to frame your faith instead of allowing your faith to frame your pressures. Does that make sense? Like some of us, we allow the pressures and the problems and all the stress we face, we allow that, we see Jesus through that instead of seeing our pressures through the lens of what God says. Pride can be broken with humility, and pain can be outlasted by perseverance. Pressure can be eased by contentment. Here's the thing. Maybe you can identify. I'm not sure if you can, but I I know for myself I can. Maybe you can identify which one of these soils kind of represents you or where you've been at some point in your life. Maybe you're there today. And you can say, you know what, God, you got me on this. There's something in my life that, that needs to change. There's something in my life that needs to be different or transformed or turned over, God, if I want to see fruit. And you might be tempted to just leave here and go home and try and muscle it out on your own. And just say, you know what, I'm just going to be better at it just because I'm going to try and be better. I'm going to put it on my shoulders and I'm going to take responsibility for myself. And that's very honorable, I get that. You're going to have a problem though. The problem is you're going to fail. Why? Because in this story, Jesus says, well, you're the soil. He says it's really the gardener's job to go and plant the seed. It's really the gardener's job to grow it up. Your job's just to receive it. And so you're going to go and fail because you know what? Like soil can't change itself. You've got no power on your own to make any difference in your life. It's only the Holy Spirit doing it. And so you go home and try as you want, but it's going to end up failing you. Uh, In the years that I've been gardening, one of the most simple but fundamental facts I've learned, and I've only been gardening for a few years, the degree to which the gardener works the soil is the degree to which I can see fruit. The more the soil is worked, the more that the gardener is able to access it and do his deal in it, the better the fruit's going to be. The soil doesn't change itself at all. It just stays the same or it gets worse. Some outside influence needs to come in and do some work. So how do you become more able to receive God's word? Two ways. They're both simple and they're both kind of hard to do on your own, so don't try it on your own. The first is this. You need to give God permission to work. Some of you, like, the biggest thing you need to do is not go home and try and muscle this out. Some of you, before you go home, you need to pray this prayer. God, for the first time in my life, I give you permission. I give you permission to do what you want to do. I'm not going to hold it on my own anymore. I'm not going to try and make it up to me. I'm not even going to, like, sit back and, like, bite my nails while you start doing your work. I'm just going to say, God, you know what? Here's access. I'm opening up the gate. You come in. You do whatever work you need to do, and I'm going to sit back and let you do it. I'm going to allow you permission to do what you need to do. You can't change on your own. You're already getting the results that you designed yourself to get. Do you understand that? Like to some degree, your life's where it's at because you've been in charge of it. So if you want a different result, if you really want something better, if you want to know what God has for you, then you need to get someone else involved. 
Unless the gardener can work the soil, nothing changes, nothing gets better. For some of the gardens I've had, I've gone in and it might just be a little thing. I might just need to pull some weeds and it'll be good and I can plant that soil. For other gardens, it means going in and it's such a mess in there and there's so many thorns and it's been so long since someone's worked it and it just is sitting there in a mess and I need to rip it out. And I need to rip this stuff out. I need to go back next week and rip more out. And I need to go back next week and dig more out. And then I need to bring more dirt in. And I need to work this thing. And I need to do it. I need to do it. And I need to do it. And I just, it's going to be this process for some gardens. But every single time that I've improved the soil, every single time that I've worked the soil, I get better harvests. Every single time you allow God to do a work in your life, every single time you allow him to turn something over or pull something out, I guarantee you, you'll see more fruit. Give God permission to work in your life. If you want more, give him permission to get more. The second one's this. You need to give God more time. If I want to see God grow in my life, what do I need to do? I need to give him permission to do his thing, and I need to give him more time to do it. I'm convinced that so many of us so many of us, we give up just before we see something break through. It's just human, right? Like, I know how long I as Dell can hold on. But in order to see God break through, I need to hold on just a little longer. So many of us, we give up just before God, I think, is going to do something. We give up right before God was ready to do his thing. And is it because God's taunting us? Because God's critical of us? And he's saying, well, if you can't do it, I'm not going to bless you. No, he's saying, you can't do it. I can do it. I can help you with it. So just hang on a little longer and watch me work. Give me just a little more time. We hang in as long as we think we can. But our pain becomes too much. The pressure becomes too great. Our stability gets questioned. And we harden back up before God had a chance to really do his work. We all want a quick fix. I want to just, I would love to say to you, come up front, pray for what you need to be prayed with. God's going to fix it in an instant. You'll go home and you'll never deal with it again. But that's not how God works. That's not what God says at all. It's not a quick fix God. God is a God who will continually work on your life. He'll want to work on you tomorrow. And he'll want to work on you the next day. And there'll be things that aren't resolved for a couple weeks. And there'll be things that aren't sorted out for a few years. There's going to be things that aren't resolved until you get to heaven. And you look back and you say, okay, God, I see what was going on there. But I'm so glad I gave you the time to work. No garden's changed overnight. It takes weeks, months, years to see a better harvest. If you think God is a quick fix God, you'll be frustrated. You'll never be able to grow. But if you give him more time, you will see a harvest. Slowly but surely, you'll see a change. You might ask, well, how long do I need to wait? How long do I have to give him? I don't know what exactly it is. I wish I could tell you what it is, but I guarantee it's going to be one day more than you're comfortable with. Does that make sense? Like It's going to be one day beyond the end of your rope doesn't matter who you are. If it's you and it takes two weeks, well, it'll take two weeks and one day and you'll start to see God move. God wants to take you not to the end of your rope to, to condemn you, but to have you come to a point where you say, God, I really need you to do it. Because I'm t- until I'm exhausted in what I could possibly do, I'm not going to actually see that it was God doing his thing. I'm not going to actually be able to assign the result and the fruit to God and I'm going to think that it was me. I need to give God the time to do his work. Can you imagine what your life would look like if you saw a 30 or 60 or 100 times the harvest that was planted, can you imagine what that would look like in your family? What that would look like 
As you're walking down the street, what that would look like at your work, what that would look like in New Brunswick, if we saw all of us a 30, 60, 100 time harvest, it's what God has for you. Man, I'm just, I just, I want to tell you, like, God is so, so in love with the potential you have. He's a good gardener. He knows how to do it. He's got good seed. And if it's planted, it will produce fruit. Some of you, God longs to see you produce fruit. Some of you are way overdue to have some fruit show up. But God still says, if you let me do my work, if you give me the time, you'll see a harvest. It's still possible. It doesn't matter if you're getting old. It's still possible to see a harvest. And I'd love to show that to you. I just convinced that God has plans for you that will blow your mind if you let them. Can I pray for you? I want to pray that you just give God permission today to do what he needs to do. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. I thank you, God, that you are a good, you're a good father. You have good things for us. God, from before we were even thought of, before we were in our mother's womb, God, you know every single day that was going to pass, you said it was good. You bring us into this world with potential, with purpose, with a plan. God, you got passion over our lives. You're so excited. You're more excited than we are about what could happen. And I just sense that you're longing for us to just receive what you have, to receive the goodness of God right now in our day and in our time, to see things turned over and broken out into a harvest, God, that we would see fruit in our lives, that others would see, that this world, this town, this community would see fruit through our lives and through our church that would have them wonder who Jesus is. And many, many, many people would come to Christ because of the harvest that they see in us. So, Lord, would it happen? God, give us the ability to let you have permission and access into every area of our lives. God, if you need to turn things over, turn things over. You need to rip things out, God. We give you permission today in Jesus' name, trusting that you're a good father to be able to do your good work in our lives. God, would we see amazing things happen? We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen.